This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. First Baptist, thank you for letting me come and bring God's word today. Uh, it's a joy to be with you, and I bring greetings from Nansman River Baptist, Sister Church in North Suffolk, and of course from Redemption Heights Church, uh, our new church plant that will be in Philadelphia this summer, which is now, very soon, very scary and full of joy. When people ask, How do you feel? Are you scared? Or are you excited? I say, Yes. <laughs> Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 4, so you can go ahead and get your Bibles out. We're just going to be in verses 42 through 44. We're going to be talking about the mission of Jesus. And so one of the things that I've come to believe um, firmly is that it's essential to know your mission, to know your purpose, to know why you do what you do. But more than that, if you have a purpose that is wrong... You're in great danger. It doesn't matter how accurate your aim is if you're aiming at the wrong target. You know, a lot of the things I hear uh, people saying to, to students, it's like that graduation season. And I, the, my famous graduation speech at our church is uh, you can't do whatever you want. Don't dream too high, all that sort of stuff. You know, you're not that special. A lot of people do it. I just got to bring them back down because mama's like building them up. You know, I, I say my biggest problem is life is my mom loved me too much. So... That's a, there are worse problems to have. Um, but one of the things that I find is people talk about how hard life's going to be, how difficult the things are going to be that you try to accomplish, but they never prepare you for what if you do accomplish what you are aiming for. Because we should be just as scared of failing as we are at succeeding at the wrong thing. I tend to get pretty hyper-focused on things. I, I, I have, when I get my mind set on something, I just go for it. And this be, has become somewhat of a problem uh, in our family when we go shopping. I, I love my wife. I've already asked permission to, to tell this story. But, you know, my wife has this philosophy of shopping called browsing. You know, it's like meandering. You're just going to look and touch everything even though you can't afford it and aren't going to buy it. Whereas I like to go in, get it, and get out, Right? I read this story on the internet, it was about a dog, so I feel like that's all the internet's good for these days, we're just going to stick with animal stories. It's a dog named, a black lab named Bucky, it's a great name for a black lab. He walked 500 miles after, I assume humming the Proclaimer song, after his owners moved from South Carolina to Virginia. He walked 500 miles back from South Carolina to Virginia because he wanted to be home so bad, night and day. Uh, through the wet, through the long, uh, difficult journey, he was focused and he got there. My question for us, church, is not only are we going to endure the journey where we're called to go, but are we going to the right place? So we come to this little piece of scripture in Luke chapter 4. Uh, Luke four forty two. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of reading God's word. It's just a little transition piece between Jesus' ministry in Capernaum as he's going to preach the good news. Here's what it says in verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. 
And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, would we be so captured by your mission as demonstrated in your son, Jesus, that there is no place we would not go if it is the place you have called us to go. God, would we not settle for comfort and familiarity if you've called us to preach the gospel elsewhere? And so God, would you, through your spirit, guide us, challenge us, convict us, and send us on the mission of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So in Luke 4, it starts off with this little, um, a little side note as it's transitioning from Jesus' ministry in Capernaum to his ministry in Judea. And it says, when it was day, he departed. He departed these crowds that had been following him, that had been learning from him, that had been watching him heal people. He departed them, and he went to a deserted place. It's kind of a little aside that we see as sort of just a little incidental note, but I think it's very important when we think of the mission of Jesus. He went away. He actually went into a deserted or desert place. If you remember, the desert was the place where he was tempted. He wasn't afraid to go back to the difficult and deserted place. If you go to the Gospel of Mark, telling the same story, it tells us that he specifically, as he often did, went to the desolate or deserted place to pray. To pray. Before he was sent out, he stopped and he prayed. So just before we get into what the mission of Jesus looks like, think about that for a second. The mission of Jesus starts with prayer. He has this local ministry in Capernaum, and he's about to go into this ministry elsewhere, but his mission starts with prayer. Here's what I found myself feeling about prayer. If I can't do anything else, I guess I can pray. The way we say it in our church plant is our prayer is our first option, not our last resort. Jesus didn't go minister and then when he ran out of things to do, go pray. The first thing he did was pray. Prayer is not the precursor to ministry. It is the ministry. Prayer is the stuff. I spend a lot of my time begging people to give me money to plant a church. Just being honest, right? Because it takes money to go do this kind of stuff. And people... You know, the, the temptation is to go, well, we want you to pray for us, we want you to give us money, and we want you to come with us. No, no, no. We want you to pray for us. All the other stuff is just icing on the cake. We need prayer. Jesus needed prayer. Jesus started with prayer. The most valuable thing you can do is pray. It's not a flippant extra. When you pray, you are going to war for the gospel. When you pray, you are aligning your mind and your heart to God. When you pray, you are focusing on the things that God cares about. Prayer is the stuff that we are called to do. So Jesus, he starts off, he goes and he prays. And then of course, like the crowds want to do, it says, the crowds sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. Here's what they wanted. They wanted Jesus for themselves. 
It doesn't say the exact motivation here, but we can kind of put the puzzle pieces together. If you back up in the chapter of Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in this ministry in Capernaum, and he is healing people. He's doing miracles. You don't want your miracle worker to leave you. You want him to stay there with you. Like, Jesus, it's great that you want to go elsewhere, but we need you to heal some more people here. What if something bad happens? You are here to help us. In verse 40 of chapter 4, it says, Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. You want that guy to stay. They want him to stay with them. They are selfish. They like having Jesus at their beck and call, at their disposal. They like having their own personal savior, their own genie, their own miracle worker. They didn't care about the larger mission. They didn't care about the kingdom of God on earth. What they wanted was for their needs to be met. Aren't we the same way? We want Jesus to help us, to bless us. We're not worried about anyone else. Selfishness is built into us from the moment we are born. But the gospel transforms that. One of the hallmarks of a gospel-changed person is that they are intensely others-focused. You've met these people. They care for the needs of others more than their own. They give more than they take. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he who died for all, that those who, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. So if the gospel has transformed us, we don't live for ourselves, we live for God. Therefore, verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 5, from now on we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. To have the truth of the gospel, the beauty of grace, the picture of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit saving us, if the reality of sin and hell and lostness and the beauty of redemption don't compel us to go rather than to stay, to speak rather than to be silent, to give rather than to take, then we have to evaluate our heart. Jesus is not a regional deity. He's not a local mascot. He's not an employee of our church. He is the God of every tribe and nation and people and tongue. He is not just our God and they have theirs. It would be the height of self-centered, false religion to claim to have the way of life and to hold on to it for ourselves. Compassion demands that we go. 
I see a lot of believers, so-called, who live in a fearful, self-absorbed, isolationist, bunker mentality Christianity that doesn't make space for the global mission of God because we're worried more about us than we are about them. We are like the people in Capernaum so often. But here's what I've discovered as we've taken this journey to plant a church in Philadelphia. First of all, as hard as it might be to plant a church in Philadelphia, there are way harder places in the world. I have a buddy in West Africa raising three little kids on the mission field. That's hard. I still have a target 10 10 miles away, right? 10 minutes away where I'm at. It's not going to be that hard. But people often ask, you know, they'll say like, God bless you. Why are you going there? I met people from Philadelphia asking us why we would move there as if puzzled and perplexed that we would do such a thing because the gospel demands we go. And here's what we found. As we go and obey, there is joy. So my son is great at this now, but he went through a phase where he did not like getting his head wet when you take a bath, right? Now let's just think about it for a second. Son, you're getting a bath, you're getting your head wet, whether you like it or not. Here's the choice you get to make. You can either accept it and enjoy it, or you can fight it and be miserable. And I find that's how we are with God. We fight it, and we're wondering why we're miserable. God's called you to go. God's called you to send. God's called you to pray, and you're sitting back here fighting it and going, man, why am I miserable? Joy is found in obeying. See, Jesus is here in Capernaum, and for the first time in his ministry, he's popular. See, he had been in Nazareth. It didn't go well. He got ran out of town. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. A prophet's not welcome in his own town. So he goes to Capernaum, and the people love what he has to say. They're, They're gathering around him. They want more. He's comfortable. He's popular. But that's not the mission. So many of us, once we get the crowd... We just relax. Jesus didn't come to gather a crowd. He he came to save, seek and to save the lost. See, there's more than one way to sin against Jesus. You can rebel for sure like those in Nazareth or you can, in in this sort of religious, semi-worshipful way, Try to hold on to Jesus for yourself, never letting what he calls you to do guide your action. The people had been impressed by what Jesus did, but they wanted the miracles, not the mission. They wanted the fruit of Jesus' miracles, not the mission that he had called them to. Maybe you've run across people like this. I have. Why do we spend so much money going? Why do we spend so much time going? Aren't there lost people around here? Sure, sure there are. But we go to preach the name, the the gospel where Christ is not known. We go to places where the need is greater. We go because Jesus has called us to go. If it's comfort we, we seek, then we stay. But the mission of God demands that we go. One of my favorite Uh, things to do is to read missionary biographies. I've learned a few things as I've read missionary biographies. One, I've learned that missionaries are not superheroes. They're just obedient Christians. 
but I've also been challenged to see what obedience looks like in difficult places. One of my favorites is the story of Adoniram Judson, a missionary hero who went to Burma, which is present-day Myanmar. He went there in 1813. At the time, Burma was a hostile and utterly unreached place. He was told it was too dangerous to go. All the previous missionaries had died or left. Everyone said that Buddhist Burma was impenetrable to the gospel. So he arrived there and studied for four years to learn the Burmese language, spending 12 hours a day studying. While in Burma, his second child died at eight months old. Five years passed, listen, five years passed before he saw his first convert. After 10 years of missionary work, isolated from his home country, Judson and his wife saw a church of 18 people. In the midst of their activity, a war between Britain and Burma began. Judson was captured, marched over land. He was barefoot and sick and imprisoned for 20 months. During this time, another one of his children died and his wife was near death due to illness. She passed only a few months after his release from prison. A deep depression overtook him and he dug his own grave, feeling the end was near. However, the strength of God sustained him. God's power and love did not fail him. He would later say of those dark days, there is a love that never fails. If I had not felt certain that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived. What's the result? The result was this. With his commitment, his perseverance, his obedience, he saw a reward of which we could, he could have only dreamed. He finished a Burmese translation of the Bible. By the time of his death, he saw 7,000 people baptized in Burma and 63 local churches established. Today, the group of churches he started has more than 600,000 members. If comfort was what he sought, if popularity was what he wanted, he would have given up long before that. But when the mission compels you, when the love of Jesus compels you, you go. Even when it's difficult, you don't stay. So we see Jesus in his local ministry leaving because he has a divine purpose. Look at verse 43. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. This is his purpose. This is why he was sent, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. I love the language there. Preach the good news of the kingdom of God. The word uh, preach, the good news, right, is, is the word gospel. It's the verb form of gospel. He's saying, I must gospel the kingdom of God. That's why I came here. I came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, that God is ruling, that Yahweh's rule is extended to this earth. It's an action, it's, a, it's an event that has happened that God is in charge, that is bringing about its own fulfillment, and I must proclaim that. Have you ever found yourself having to proclaim something? All the grandparents in the room, right? You're compelled to tell people about your grandbabies. If you've ever met anyone who does CrossFit, you know the first rule of CrossFit is you must tell everyone about CrossFit. Right? It's that sort of thing. It's like, you know, if you're a fan of a sports team, you have to tell it. Jesus says, I am compelled, I must tell you about the good news of the kingdom of God. I was sent. He was a sent one. Just like we are sent. He has a divine purpose. Knowing your purpose changes your actions. You can endure a lot when you know the end result of why you're doing it. 
at our church in uh, North Suffolk, we, for whatever reason, have come across, we've, we've just had a lot of doctors at our church from Portsmouth Naval Hospital, just an influx. I mean, like, if you need, like, if you have heart problems, we got one of those. If you're pregnant, we got one of those. We got an ER doctor. I mean, we just, it's the safest place to be Sunday mornings at 930. We got you covered. But what I've watched is a lot of these residents come through and I've watched them walk alongside them through residency. It is a grueling experience, especially one of our orthopedic residents. I mean, his hours and the amount of study and the tests he has to do are difficult. If he did not know why he was doing it, he would have given up a long time ago. But to know that the end result of this is that he gets to help people, that he gets to do what God's called him to do, allows him to endure that. It's the most important question you can ask. It'll get you in lots of trouble, but it's the most important question you can ask. Why? See, see, we are really good at saying, okay, what? Just tell me what to do. What do I got to do, preacher? Tell me what to do. No, you need to ask why. Jesus says, because God has sent me. Do you understand why we do what we do? Why we plant churches? We plant churches because that is... The missionary strategy of the Bible, it is the means by which the gospel is known, and it's the means by which disciples are made, it's the means by which we send out more people to reach more lost people, so that those who are far from God can come close, that the lost can be found. Jesus was sent to gospel the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, this is, we could spend weeks talking about this little phrase. Sometimes the kingdom of heaven in the gospel of Matthew the kingdom of God is this, that God is king, that God's rule is in action. Now that becomes difficult for us because right now where we live in this moment in history, we live in what theologians call the already and the not yet. It's much like, uh, one theologian puts it this way, he says it's like the difference between D-Day and V-Day in World War II. It's the difference between landing on the beachhead in Normandy and the war actually being over in Europe. When the beachhead was established in World War II at Normandy, for all intents and purposes, the war was over. But there were still many battles to be fought. And that's where we live now, knowing that the war is over, that the war has been won, we still fight the battles and the confidence that God is working through us, his purposes to bring about his rule and his reign. And so we see that he is sent for this divine purpose. What does it look like for us to be living on purpose for Jesus, announcing the reign of God, proclaiming the kingdom of God? What does that look like? I think it looks a couple ways. One, I think it does mean we live on purpose. What I've noticed is that most people live on accident. Let's go back to teenagers, because I work with them a lot. Why do most teenagers go to college? Because that's just what you do, right? It's just the path that's laid out. They don't know. I didn't know when I went to college. I had the best major of all, it was called undecided. <laughs> what would it look like if instead we made choices based on the gospel about how we were going to structure our lives so that more people could hear about Jesus. 
I think we live on purpose. I think secondly, if the kingdom of God is going to be real in our world, then our churches need to start looking like outposts of the kingdom of God. Not simply just an aggregation of individuals who are saved, but as a, a pilot plant of what humanity would look like under the lordship of Christ. Not perfectly, not finally, but people should come into our churches and see more of Jesus reigning than us reigning. And personally, what does it mean that Jesus is reigning in your life? The question we normally ask is, where does God fit into the story of my life? The question we should ask is, where does my life fit into the story that God is telling? We talk about applying the Bible to our lives. What would it mean instead to apply our lives to the Bible, seeing it as the reality to which we are called to conform ourselves? The purpose for which Jesus was sent determined everything he did. He did not stay in comfort, but he went to tell people the gospel, to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God. And the last thing we see, just a little aside that I think is very important, we see his method. It's a specific method. Verse 44, he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. There's so, much, so many miracles surrounding chapter 4 that we miss that Jesus' primary method for reaching people was preaching in the synagogues. His earthly ministry was primarily a teaching ministry. The miracles served the message, not the other way around. The signs in the Gospel of John, for example, confirm the teaching. The miracles validate what he is saying, but they're not the point. See, the, the people in Capernaum got it backwards. They saw the miracles as the point and missed the message. Don't underestimate the role of teaching, of preaching, of explaining, of telling people the gospel. Of course, if you don't uh, live in a way that confirms the message, then you're undermining your message. But, but you can't just have this, this notion of uh, preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. You guys have heard that quote, I'm sure, um, falsely attributed to Francis of Assisi. He never said it and wouldn't believe it. You know, saying preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words is like saying give me your phone number and, if necessary, use digits. Right? Or it's like, make me dinner and if necessary, use food, please. If we're going to be agents of the kingdom of God, we must live it out, but that goes along with the message we're proclaiming. It's good news to be proclaimed. Paul puts it this way in Romans 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Every one of us, listen, every one of us is responsible to go and proclaim and teach the gospel. So I'd like to ask this question. I think it helps me. So what? He said all that stuff. What does that mean? How does that apply to my life? It means this. As followers of Christ, we must go to all people with the gospel, teaching the good news of the now and future reign of Jesus. And I think where that starts in my heart is it's easy to pray for the future kingdom and rule of Christ. It's quite another thing to pray for his present kingdom rule in my heart.
in our American way that worships independence and individualism, there is a natural and profound difficulty, I would even say maybe inability, to truly submit to any authority, even that of Christ himself. This is why so many of us have no kingdom power, because you cannot enjoy a kingdom unless you are submitted to a king. So let me ask you a simple set of questions. Have you submitted everything to the kingdom rule of Jesus? Your ambitions, your family, your money, your time, your future, your children. I think that's when it got most real to me was when I became a dad. It was one thing for me to go. Sorry, I didn't worry about my parents too much. Hey, I'll go. You'll deal with it. And then I thought, what does it look like to send my child to a faraway place that's dangerous for the gospel? In John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So if Jesus' mission was to go, then our mission is to go. So at, at uh, our church plant, we've stolen our strategy from our sending church, Nansman River, who stole it from Luke chapter 10, because the best ideas are there in the Bible. And it's this, we pray, we send, and we go. Luke 10 says this, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers and go your way. We see here in Luke chapter 4, Jesus prays, starts his mission with prayer, is sent by God and goes with the message. Some may be called to stay. We see that in the Gospel of Luke. There's a demon-possessed man at one point who is uh, healed by Jesus. It's a very sad story because all these pigs die in the water and I love bacon. But other than that, this demon-possessed man is healed and he sees Jesus getting on a boat going away and he's like, let me go with you. And Jesus says, no, you stay. Because people have been watching this man for, for years. Now they can see the power of God in their midst. So there are times when Jesus tells you to stay. But in general, according to scripture, we should all consider the posture of our lives as that of going. And only if Jesus calls us to stay, do we stay. Assume that he's called you to go. And only in special circumstances do you stay. One pastor puts it this way. We judge our success not by our seating capacity, but by our sending capacity. America is not going to be reached by the gospel if we plant hundreds of more mega churches. It's going to be when average sized churches and normal everyday believers understand that it's their call to reach people with the gospel. Here's what I've loved in watching us go to Philadelphia. We're, we're moving to Philadelphia with 12 other, I'm moving to Philadelphia with 12 other adults and seven kids. Outside of myself and one other pastor, everyone else on our team just has a normal job engineer, school teacher, mortgage loan counselor. Not the most spiritually significant job, right? But they're investing their vocation and their family for the cause of Christ. That's how people are gonna be saved. Ephesians chapter four says that pastors are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I don't know if you realize this. When I became a pastor, I left the ministry. I'm a pastor, you're all the ministers. 
And if every one of us doesn't take seriously the call of Jesus to go, then there's no chance that the gospel is going to go out. God has called us to go. To quote that same pastor, the purpose of our Christianity, the purpose of our faith, the reason why we exist is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ where we live and to the ends of the earth. And that mission involves all of us. Every member of this church and every church on the front lines making disciples and multiplying churches which means we're willing to send out and to go. We're not afraid to send out brothers and sisters whom we love and we will miss. We've only got a little time here, so God give us grace to move out of a paradigm where the goal is to get as many people as possible into one building where we can have the best programs to revolve around us. No, instead, God, give us the grace to move to a paradigm where the goal is to truly send as many people as possible out of this building to spread this gospel to people who need it in our city and to the ends of the earth. So the invitation is simple but profoundly difficult. Are you ready to go with the gospel? It starts by with prayer. Have you prayed where God might send you? One couple on our launch team said this. We were sad when we heard you were going to go. And then we realized we'd never even prayed and asked God if he wanted us to go to. Would you pray to God today, God, where do you want me to go with the gospel? Maybe it's up the street, maybe it's down the road, maybe it's somewhere else in this country, maybe it's around the world. But genuinely open up your heart and say, God, where would you want me to go? Secondly, will you send? We are the recipients of churches and people who are faithful in sending us. We could not do this as easily or as focused on preaching the gospel if we were constantly worrying about all sorts of other things. We have churches who have financially supported us. And lastly, will you go? Faithful obedience to go with the gospel. You only have one life to live. Will you invest it in the mission of Jesus? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray so much that your spirit would be working in us here. God, that we would not be interested in just existing as a church, surviving as a church. We would not be interested in just having a few more programs to run, but we would be seriously considering what does it look like to go with the gospel to places where it is unknown, where there are not enough churches, where there are not enough Christians to evangelize the lost. God, what kind of sacrifices do I have to make to see that the mission goes forward? And God, in moments of doubt, would you steal my heart around the conviction that this is what you've called us to, and this is the joy that we have in participating with our master, that as Jesus was sent, we're sent too. God, in this time of response, I pray that you would be working on our hearts, that we would not walk out of here business as usual, but we would be changed, be obedient to the call to preach the gospel. It's in Jesus' name. This time we're gonna sing a song. Pastor Michael's gonna be down here. If you wanna pray with him or if you wanna pray or talk to someone, uh, we would encourage you to do that. Uh, it doesn't do you a lot of good to white knuckle the pew and walk out of here. Uh, if God's calling you to change, Today, let it be the day.
I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.